0: So we are in a series titled uh, A Crazy Family Christmas, and we're looking at some of the uh, crazy people and stories that are in the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1. And someone asked me earlier this week, what crazy person will we be looking at this Sunday? And admittedly that the the person that we're going to be looking at today is not nearly as crazy as the past two people and stories that we've looked at. So, there's no big immorality, there's no weird stuff going on, except this. How many of you would vote for your eight year old child to become president of the United States? Sort of, uh, hey, I see a few hands there. Okay, you're throwing me off. Now, how many of you would follow the leading of your eight year old? Because that's exactly what happens in our passage today. And we're going to be looking at an eight-year-old boy who becomes king. Now, that reminds me of two conversations that I read between a boy and his parents. And here's the first one where the mom wrote. She said, my six-year-old watching me pour Drano down the sink. And the six-year-old said, what's that? And I said, it dissolves whatever gunk is clogging up your drain. And the six-year-old said, cool. Even the screwdriver down there? The mom said, the, the what? Huh? Wait a second. Or this other one here. This is funny. Um, my son asked me, where does poo come from? And I was a little uncomfortable, but gave him an honest explanation. And he looked a little perplexed and stared at me in stunned silence. And then a few sec- after a few seconds, and then asked, And Tigger? So kids can do and say some pretty funny things, can't they? And normally, we would not say that they are ready to be the leader of a nation. But that's what happens in our story. And so this young person, Josiah, makes a dramatic positive impact on the people of Judah. And so, to begin, let's go ahead and let's take a look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And that's found in Matthew uh, chapter 1, verse 10. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. And Manasseh, the father of Amos. And Amos, the father of Josiah. So, in this verse... We see, first of all, Hezekiah. He's about nine generations removed from King David. Hezekiah starts out doing pretty well. He brings some positive changes to Judah. However, further into his reign, he disobeyed God and that led him and led Judah in the wrong direction. And then we come to Manasseh. And he reigned for almost 40 years, but he was a notoriously wicked king. He built altars uh, to other gods. He was involved in divination. He even sacrificed one of his sons as an offering. And my kids thought they had it bad. He was so wicked and reigned for so long that the nation of Judah essentially forgot about God's laws. And so after him came Amos, and and sometimes he's called uh, Ammon, and he was also a wicked king. He was the father of Josiah, but he was assassinated by his servants when Josiah was eight years old, leading to the boy becoming king. And Josiah's story is told in Second Kings chapter 22 and 23, and then also a similar story is told in Second Chronicles 34 and 35. Now, they both tell similar events with a slightly different focus, and we're going to be looking at the account in Second Chronicles. And so in chapter 34, the author starts out by saying this. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left for in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. So Josiah becomes king at age eight. And then the the author says eight years into his reign, making him about 16 years old, he begins to seek God. Now, we're not told why at that point he begins to seek God. We're not given any details about the situation there. But he was in a nation that had essentially forgotten God. And then he begins to follow God. And by then, it's a wicked nation participating in wicked practices. But over the next four years of Josiah's life, he works on getting sinful practices out of the country. For example, in verse 3, And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the carved and metal images. And so for the next several verses, which I'm not going to read, we learn of several ways that, Judah, that Josiah begins to cleanse the nation and he destroys pagan altars and he cuts down idols and he burns the bones of sacred priests, of, of pagan sacred priests, and so on. And by the 18th year of his reign, he begins rebuilding the temple of Jerusalem. And so as they work on the temple that had been in long disrepair. This is what happens in verse 14. And while they were bringing out the money they had br- been, that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. So when the author says the book of the law, it's most likely either part or all of the book of Deuteronomy. It's also possible, some speculate, that it could have been the entire Torah, which is Genesis, through Deuteronomy. And so the book makes it up the ranks, as different people discover. They pass it up, and it eventually ends up with King Josiah. Now, what I'm about to say is going to be very shocking, and maybe this is the crazy part of the story right here. But guess what Josiah does when he's given part of the Bible. He reads it. He reads it. Verse 18. Then uh, Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And, and Shaphan read from it before the king. And then, even maybe more shocking, guess what happens? Josiah believes it and is convicted by the words. Verse 19. And then the king heard the words of the law and he tore his clothes. Josiah is probably responding to some of the warnings and prophecies of judgment on the nation for turning to other gods in previous generations. And so while Josiah himself hadn't done any of this, his nation had participated in it and he was very concerned for his people. And so he sends some leaders to go see a prophetess uh, who then tells them that Judah is indeed going to be judged for their sins. And then in verse 29, Josiah does this. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests, and the Levites, and all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul. To perform the words of the covenant that were written In this book, then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God and God of the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God all his days. They did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. So Josiah brings all the leaders together and he reads the Bible to them. And then he makes a commitment to follow it. And then he uses what I may call his kingly influence to make sure that the other leaders agree to follow it. And so they begin following. And then in verse 33, Josiah continues to remove all the pagan influences that are in the land. So the the story continues into the next chapter, and I'm not going to read that, but the main thing that happens in the next chapter is that Josiah starts to bring back uh, some other, uh, some other practices such as Passover, which they were supposed to be practicing every year. And so slowly, Over time, Josiah gets rid of sin out of the country and then gets intentional about obeying the word of God. Now we're going to stop there and just pause for a moment and ask a very important question. We've seen Josiah read the word, make these changes. And so for us today, we want to ask the question, so what? So what? What can we, as 21st century Christians attending Island Pond Baptist Church here just a week or so before Christmas, what can we learn from a story like this? We have this king who started following God at a very young age. And by the time he was a teenager, he began making an impact in the nation. So here's the first thing that we can learn from this passage. And that is that God uses young and immature people to accomplish his purposes. And I phrased it that way on purpose. That it's, it's not that God only uses young, perfectly mature, perfectly behaved people. God uses the young, the immature, the inexperienced, the uneducated people. It's Christmas. And so let's think about the baby that was born that changed the world, Jesus. As God, he could have come as an adult. But instead, he chose to come as a baby. Let's think about the woman that birthed baby Jesus. Mary was most likely a teenager at the time. And so she came from a small town, no special training, no special family, and was picked to give birth to the king of the world. You see, God can and will use young people for his glory and purposes. And so it's no mistake that Paul writes these words in 1 Timothy 4.12 let no one despise you for your youth but set the example uh, uh, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity so notice he, he doesn't just say set an example young people if you're really talented set an example if you're super handsome or pretty set an example if you're really really smart no he simply says Young people, set an example with your lives. And so if you're young here this morning, I want to encourage you, don't wait. Don't wait to be given the right, quote unquote, position of a, or level of authority. Right where you're at, begin setting an example. Begin leading in speech. Begin leading in conduct and love and faith and purity. And when you do, you never know what God may do through you. I read about a 23-year-old second lieutenant uh, named Carl uh, Marlantis during World during the Vietnam War. And he was leading 40 Marines during an intense battle. And he had moved his men back for a time because uh, some of the jets were supposed to bomb a hill that they were supposed to, to storm up. Uh, but Then after the jets bombed, he then led the charge to the hill. And unfortunately, as it turned out, the jets bombed the wrong hill. And so when Marlantis and the Marines began going up the hill, they encountered a brutal fire response from the enemy. And the mission was on the verge of collapsing. And so Marlantis writes about what he did next. He says, if I didn't get up and lead, we'd get wiped out. I did a lot of things that day, but one of the most, uh, but the one I'm most proud of is that I simply stood up in the middle of flying metal and started up the hill. I simply ran forward up the steep hill, zigzagging for the bunker all by myself, hoping my soldiers wouldn't hit me in the back. It's hard to zigzag while running uphill loaded down with ammunition and and grenades. And so... Uh, End of quote right there. As he ran up the hill, Marlantis saw that there was some movement in his peripheral vision. And so going back to what he writes, he says, it was a Marine. He was about 15 meters below me, zigzagging, falling up and running again. Immediately behind him, a long, ragged line of Marines came moving and weaving up the hill behind me. Behind the line were spotted, were spots of crumpled bodies lying where they'd been hit. They'd all come with me. Everyone was intermingled, weaving and rushing and covering, taking on each hole and bunker one at a time in groups. We, the group, just rushed forward all at once. We couldn't be stopped. Just individuals among us were stopped, but we couldn't be. It was we, no longer me young folks there are things that you can't do or they sorry let me let me rephrase that there are things that you can do that i as an old dude can't do there are things that your parents or maybe even older dudes can't do that you can do And so I want to challenge you, instead of giving in to the world's stereotype of young people being lazy or pleasure-pursuing or partiers or addicted to your phone, I challenge you to be more like Mary, to be more like Josiah, that where you follow God, no matter your age, and when you do that, listen, you will make a difference. Your school's need people who wholeheartedly follow God. Your workplaces need people who bring light and not darkness. And so here's the second thing now that I want to bring up. And that is the power of the word of God. Josiah's life hit a turning point when he began to read the word of God. Second Chronicles 34, 19. We saw this. Um, maybe I hadn't read this already. So verse 19. No, I had. Uh, and when the king heard the words of the law, what did he do? He tore his clothes. So it's not that, that he was listening and then he bent over to pick something up and ripped his trousers, trousers on accident. No, no, no! this was an intentional sign of deep mourning and conviction. And so he realized that he had not been living the way that he should and that his nation had not been living the way that he should. And so I want to give you three things that become evident through his actions here, through the tearing of his clothes and through the preceding actions, three things that are evident in his life. And really three things here that we should be pursuing as well. So here's the first one. He feared God and his words. So this is what's lacking in many Christians today. We have God's word. We have them. We maybe even read them. Maybe we even study them. But do we fear them? You know, some fear is bad, but there's another type of fear that that's very healthy. When my kids were smaller, I instilled in them a fear of the road. I would say things like if you run out onto the road, you will get run over and smashed like a pancake and die. And maybe that's why they are afraid to ever go out. No, no, I'm just kidding. But. That's a good fear to have, because if they run out into the middle of a busy road, that will probably happen at some point. But maybe you're wondering, all right, Kyle, I, I get the road thing. But what does being afraid of a busy road have to do with fearing God? Well, let me read to you Matthew ten, twenty-eight. Listen to what Jesus says. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both body and uh, both soul and body in hell. So a car can run you over and take your physical life, and, and I agree, that would be bad. But even worse is if you reject God's words, then even worse things will happen. And Jesus says in Matthew 10:28 that we need to fear something more than what's just someone that can harm the physical body. And so, listen, don't just fear the road. Don't just fear all the other physical things more than you fear God. But what does it mean to fear God? And so this leads to the second action that Josiah shows here, and that is that he internalized, he internalized God's words from the Bible. So a healthy fear of God's words in the Bible leads to a desire to internalize them. So to put it another way, Josiah got serious about learning and studying God's word. And I've talked about this a number of times before, so I'm not going to dwell on this point right now, but if you truly fear God, then you will want to know what he says. And to do that, you must be in the Bible on a consistent daily basis. And so I want to challenge you. Read it. Study it. Dwell on it. Work through those difficult parts that you don't quite understand. Memorize it. This is how you internalize his words. And then third, finally, Josiah also lived out. God's word. So he didn't, uh, he learned it, but he didn't stop there. Chapters 34 and 35 show an immense effort of Josiah to live out what he learned. And so in other words, he began applying and obeying what he learned. And I've been a pastor long enough to know that this is a major issue for some Christians. That there are some Christians that are not learning the Bible, but equally bad, there are some Christians that have grown up with it, that know it well, and are not living it out. I think of the Titanic, and this is exactly what happened to them. Back on April 14th, 1912, a radio operator on the ship received multiple warnings about an iceberg ahead. And so they passed it up. To uh, to the bridge, Captain Smith changed the course just slightly, but did not order the ship to slow down. In church, I wonder how many times do we hear the word of God and only alter our course slightly, if at all. And if we continue in that way, we will be worse off than the Titanic. But the simple solution is obey, obey his words. And so I want to challenge you, fear them, get them in you, but then don't stop there. Obey them. So as I was thinking of a way to close the, 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 the sermon, the story of Martin Luther came to mind. And some of you have probably heard this story before, but he was a man who was transformed by the words of God, by God's word. And for a long time, he tried to live as a good monk and working as hard as he could to earn his righteousness. But eventually, he realized that he couldn't do that and he got very depressed. And then he read, while well, he was uh, teaching on Romans, he read and studied Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, and he realized that he couldn't. Earn his righteousness on his own because it was only possible through Jesus Christ. And so from that point forward, his life was dramatically changed as he sought to live out the Bible in his life. So fast forward many years and he was continually frustrated with the corrupt teachings of the Catholic church. And so finally fed up, he wrote out a list of 95 objections and he posted it onto what was the community wall which happened to be a church door and so the pope didn't like what he had to say and he condemned luther and ordered that luther appear before the assembly before an assembly and that he recant of his writings and so on april 17 1521 luther appeared before the the roman leaders of the roman catholic church And there in the room, uh, on the table, were all the writings of Luther sort of spread out. And the opposing lawyer stood up, and he gave this stinging condemnation of the writings. And then he asked Luther if the writings were his. And Luther said they were. And so the lawyer then asked him if he was prepared to recant the errors that were contained in his writings. Now, Lot was on the line right at that point because heretics in the church didn't fare well. They were often executed. And so Luther hesitated. His confidence sort of waning right in that moment. And he muttered a few words and, and then he asked for another day to consider things. And so they granted his request. And that night, Luther spent time in prayer, asking God to, to give him courage. Because he he knew that what he had written was true because it was right out of scripture. And he also knew that what the Catholic church had, had written and had become was, was very corrupt and an error, but was he willing to die over it? So the next day he returned to the assembly and he was asked again, if he would recant of his uh, writings and Luther began giving a defense of his writings, and it was a long defense. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but at the very end of his speech, he ended with these words, and so I want to read them to you. He said, Since your most serene majesty and your highness require me a simple, clear, and direct answer, I will give one, and it is this I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope, Or to the council, because it is clear that they have fallen into error and even into inconsistency with themselves. If then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or by cogent reasons, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this way brought into subjection to God's word, I, can neith- I neither can nor will retract anything. For it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Declared, here I stand. Here on the word of God is where he would stand no matter the risk. Now, it worked out for Luther that he was uh, quickly snuck out and had to live in hiding for quite some time, but but did survive that. Many others did not during that time period. But let me ask you: Where do you stand? So, do you stand on the the shifting foundation of culture, which may seem One thing, one day, and a week later, something else? Or do you stand on on something more personal, like motivation to prove something? Or do you stand to, to try to grow in popularity or riches or fame? Or does your life stand on the word of God? And for those of you who have come this morning that have never turned to Jesus and given Given him your life. I want to encourage you that the, the first step is to do what the Word of God says, and that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And if you do that, the Bible says in Romans 10 that you will be saved. And so I want to encourage you do that now, do that before it's too late. But many others here, you've done that in the past, you've given him your life, but maybe you are like Judah. Where you follow him at some point, but you have just gone in a totally different direction that you did not plan to go. And I want to say that the mercies of God are new every morning. And so it is not too late to turn back to him. And that through the blood of Jesus, when he started coming on Christmas morning, what we celebrate as Christmas morning. And then when he was crucified 30 or so years later on what we celebrate Easter as, he paid for those mistakes, for those sins, for those errors. And so I want to encourage you. Maybe you've wandered away from him. Then call out to him today and ask him to help to get back. And he'll help you. And so I want to encourage everyone here. May your life stand on the word of God. Let's go ahead and spend a moment now in prayer. I'm going to invite the the worship team to come on up.